to the Batmobile. Let's go. Come on, Bob. For old times, huh? Harley Quinn, nice to meet you. <laughs> Pardon my French. Fuck those fuckers. Right, welcome everybody to another episode of the Comics in Motion podcast. I am one of your hosts, Chris Phelps, and my co-host and very good friend is Mr. Dave Horrocks. Hi Chris and hello to our listeners out there, welcome to Comics in Motion. What we like to do here is we like to review movies and TV shows that are based on comic books. Myself, I'll be reviewing from the perspective of a long-time comic book reader. And I'll be reviewing from the TV and movie perspective. And what we also like to do is we also like to spoil the hell out of everything we review. So if you haven't watched our choice of the week, then we'd advise you to proceed with caution. And remember, with an average podcast comes no responsibility. Now, Chris, we've got a, we're revisiting. We're going very slowly through this trilogy. <laughs> we're revisiting something we I'm sure we reviewed in our first 10, 20 episodes. Fourteen. Was it fourteen? Oh, fourteen. Yeah. Well researched. Well researched. <laughs> For the change. <laughs> <laughs> what are we going to review today? Well, Dave, it is the sequel to the nineteen ninety eight Wesley Snipes classic vampire movie. Blades. This is Blade 2 from 2002. Awesome. Now, what what do you remember about this one when it came out? Well, obviously, I, I think I said when we did our review of Blade, absolutely loved it. I remember watching it in the cinema. I was blown away by it. I was a fan of Wesley Snipes anyway from uh, Demolition Man. It, it was the oh, what's it, Passenger 57 with Elizabeth Hurley. I loved that one. I, and the martial arts stuff always got me. So I'd seen the original and then... I bought it on, I think it was video actually, not on DVD, about 99. I think I bought it around about the same time, 99, 2000, and I bought like Phantom Menace and all that sort of thing, Matrix. Always in my sort of rotation of movies, loved it. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. So me and Sam went to the cinema to watch this. In the first weekend it came out, I was all over it, and she was, loved it. And I remember being in, and the cinema had just been done up at the time. So 2002, obviously it's not like IMAX or anything like it is now. And that scene at the start when he fights the vampires in the street and he's blocked him in in the Dodge Charger, which is his car, and he scrapes his knife along the floor. And I remember in the cinema, it, it whizzed past my head and I absolutely shit it. Head went down, scrunched <laughs> him and like, oh my God, what was that? You know, And, and it, honestly, I loved this movie back then. But however, bought it on DVD as soon as it come out, double edition, uh, I dusted it off. I only think I've only ever watched this day maybe twice, once in the cinema, once when I bought a DVD, and it's just sat there for 17, 18 years, not even been watched. So it's really interesting to go back. It actually felt like a new movie in some respects. I mean, what about yourself? Yeah, I mean, I, I must admit, because, you know, when that first movie came out, you're aware that it's Marvel Comics, but Blade was never a character I was into, to be honest. I mean, he came around, it was actually Marv Wolfman who created him. So, you know, when we were talking to Max and Tony about Crisis on Infinite Earths, it's the same writer who put together that whole crossover event, created Blade. But he was a very kind of 70s funky character. He, he was completely different to the Wesley Snipes Blade. And, and this is one of those occasions, I, I'm sure I must have said it on the first podcast, that what appears on the TV 
was genuinely better than what was in the comics and then that sort of fed back into the comics um but when it when that first one came out i was working in blockbusters at the time and so uh, we got tons of copies of it but there was never any in because as soon as someone would drop it off you know it someone would see it and like well can we have that one And, and it's off again so i was like oh what's this blade thing absolutely loved it but then when the second one came out there was no way i wasn't watching that one at the cinema and i just remember thinking at the time the effects were fantastic the feel of it the look uh i thought the i thought at the time you know the story is quite original it, it wasn't something i was expecting but I, and then I, when it came out on video watched it again on video but I, a bit like yourself i haven't watched it too many times probably watched it somewhere between five and ten times in total including this rewatch so having gone such a stretch without watching it i was quite interested to come back to it and think okay does this really stand up at all from from what i remember because again for me even though the first one was great the second one was just a step up from that you know they clearly had a, a bigger budget it just it just felt a bit grittier and and better and so um yeah that's kind of where i was coming from on this one no good stuff day so should we get into our trailer yeah let's go there's a world beyond the one we know where the powers of darkness fear nothing but one man We represent the ruling body of the Vampire Nation. They're offering you a truce. They want to meet with you. You're sure about this? They'll take us in deeper than we've ever been. Now, those he has sworn to kill need his help to fight a new breed of terror. They're no longer top of the food chain. Our forces are ready to fight, but we need a leader. Let me get this right. You want me to hunt them for you? Now, before we get deep into the story, Chris, I should call this out, you know, in the various podcasts that we've done, um, when David S. Goyer's come out, I've said I, I'm not really a massive fan, you, you've come across as a bit of a super fan, just to wind me up. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> now, I have to say, I think this one, it... it I don't know, because this is um, Guillermo del Toro's film, isn't it, really? And I just don't know how much of the writing is driven by del Toro and how much of it is David Escoyer. 
I, I think it's difficult to say because if you look at what uh, Guillermo del Toro has done since and, and things that he'd done before that as well, there's a lot of influences in this particular story. But what I, I do have to hold my hands up and say, overall, this for David Escoria, this is probably one of his highlights. This this is definitely not one of the, the worst things that he's done. And, and I do think this is probably why he's got that reputation of being a, a good writer. Um. But, yeah, but, there is a but. I think that as we get through this story, there's some things that I'm going to call out. And I have to admit, in the opening of this movie, we see Blade, he's he's in Prague, he's looking for Whistler. And I, I'd kind of forgotten a lot of this story. I'd certainly forgot that we've got Norman Reedus in there, haven't we, as uh, yeah. Scud. And so as soon as he appears, I'm like, oh, right. I've... Well, I wouldn't have recognised him at the time, but just seeing him now after watching him in Walking Dead for years, he's instantly recognisable. But, you know, he's he's searching out Whistler and then you're not too sure, you know, is he a vampire? He's, he's rescued him, but he's, he's in this kind of uh, vat of water. And I'm thinking to myself, hang about. No, this is almost to the levels of Batman 66 where they're saved by a flying fucking porpoise. <laughs> <laughs> as a lazy way to write out that our heroes are saved. And I'm like, I don't understand, really. We we didn't actually see him blow his brains out on the screen, but in that first movie, we were, we were definitely led to believe that. What do you make to this opening and this whole rescue? Cinematography-wise, it's brilliant. The, the whole start of it's really good like I say I'm gripped from the as soon as it comes on I think the fighting seems to have gone up a level the intensity of Wesley Snipes for me is what makes this film and even Blade Trinity which gets slated it's him that I've come to watch more than anything Dave you know I like Whistler Nick Norman Reedus is there and there's quite a good selection of cast members like you've got a guy called Matt Schultz who's Chopper he's actually Vince out of Fast and Furious who's an arse in Fast and Furious he's basically mm-hmm. playing Vince in this, this is a couple of years after the first Fast and Furious, and it's the same fucking character he's playing. Absolute arse who just does not like Whistler at all. You've got uh, Donnie Yen, who's Ip Man, who's also out of uh, Rogue One. You know, I am the Force, the Force is with me and all that. Uh, that's him. Uh, that's him, is it? Yeah, yeah. And Ip Man, uh, martial arts movies, Dave, are synonymous. He is the Ip Man 1, 2, 3, 4, whatever they are. It's, they're like low-budget bit like Jet Li, he's like, he followed in the footsteps of, sort of parallel to Jet Li in some respects. Um, you've got them, you've got obviously uh, Ron Perlman, you've got Hellboy there, who's also out of one of my favourite uh, TV shows, Sons of Anarchy, he's claying that, you know, so you, not, like you say, you've got, not a who's who, but you've got a very, very strong backup of, of like the, the vampire. The one thing I... I the one thing when they do this rescue thing with, with um, Whistler is it's a bit too easy the way he just changes him back pretty much, doesn't he? He's about to kill him and, and yeah. thinks he, he thinks ill of it. And I'm thinking, well, anyone else, he'd have just fucking decimated him, wouldn't he? You know, he, there's a chance that when he lifts him over his shoulder, I kept thinking, well, he could bite him, couldn't he, really? Do you know what I mean? Like, I know that sounds a bit stupid, but it's for the show and the, the, for the show, for the movie as it moves along. But it was a bit too cute. However... When the fucking American Ninjas came down, which is obviously um, Danny Jones, uh, John Danny Jules, John in it, Jules, uh, yeah. Red the Dwarf cat from Red the Dwarf, cat, yeah, he comes in it, and you come down and the fighting Blade, and you've got the girl there, you know, that she can basically decapitate um, Blade's crown jewels, 
and then there's a truce, just a truce like that, like it's nothing. Oh yeah, that's that's a bit too easy for me, Dave. I've got to say, a bit too easy because he's been fighting them the whole time, and then all of a sudden he's just going to go with them. I just found that a little bit too easy for me, to be honest. And and that's where again I, I'm trying to uh, be objective when it comes to David Escoria because I, you know, again he's. He's more talented than me, let's put it that way. But just when you, you're considering the top, top writers, I just think there's things like this where you're just like, yeah, that was just a bit lazy really, wasn't it? Because yeah. Whistler was dead. And and Whistler's not a character from the comics, by the way. He's created for this, this franchise. So, okay. yeah, I, for some reason, he needed to bring him back. Um, but he was definitely dead from the first one. I, I think what I think is great about this opening is you know the way it looks like I say the whole look and feel of it but I think that's more like you say the cinematography that's more driven from the director that's more driven from Guillermo del Toro and what he's doing but that 180 <laughs> from the vampires and then it's like oh yeah there's this super vampire another one you missed off the roll call there Chris Old Luke Goss, when oh, we'll sorry, be yeah. famous. I was going to get on to him, but you're right, Dave, yeah. Hey, um, brilliant. You know, we've got this sort of super vampire. And like you say, for for Blade's life, he's been running around killing vampires. And it's like, yeah, but when he's, when he's destroyed all of us, then he's going to start eating humans. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, let's team up then. It's yeah. just like, oh, come on. That, yeah. that is too easy, to be honest. It is, and to be fair, Dave, it shits on the first movie, really, because you're taking it in a direction where the first movie pretty much is irrelevant to what's going on, other than Whistler being like he's sort of right-hand man. That's the only reason the first movie exists. It really, really, for me, it didn't cheapen the first movie. The first movie's outstanding, but it does just sort of, what was the point of the first movie then if he's literally going to have one conversation and then decide to go with the vampires? Yeah. Doesn't... It... I agree with that. I do. I, I like the movie. I, I enjoyed watching it. I certainly enjoyed watching it this time as well. But but the if you if you sit and think about it too much, there's just loads of plot holes that are just wrong in this. And, and critically, Dave, it's at 50% across the board on everything. Rotten Tomatoes, Metacritic, the Cine score, it's a B plus. It's not even there, you know what I mean? So it's not even... Uh, highly regarded. I always thought this was better than the first one, to be honest. But uh, on hindsight, I think the action's probably better, but the actual delivery and the story uh, itself is not on the same level, to be honest. Yeah, and and I think the the problem is so around this time, you know, early two thousands, CGI is getting better. And like I say, when I saw it on the cinema, I was thinking, wow, you know, the way the ninjas moved, the way the vampires sort of turned to dust, you know, I was just like, fucking hell, I've never seen anything like that. It looks brilliant. You look back at it all these years later, you know, 18 years later, and you're like, ooh, in particular, the way, you know, before the truce, when you've got the two kind of ninjas jumping about and stuff, they they haven't got all the motion captured pinned down so you know it, it just looks fake you know it looks yeah. really not real and I think oh that when she's fighting with Blade yeah, yeah when she's fighting with Blade it's really yeah. really bad yeah that the, the, you can tell it's a cartoon animation yeah, Can't, yeah sorry yes I get that I, I got that myself Dave so I think stuff like that doesn't stand up really well but I think the way they've done up Luke Goss 
uh, as Nomak, you know, and the way he's got that kind of split chin thing coming out. I thought that looked pretty good, to be honest. I, th- I thought that bit stood out, uh, stood up really well. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you're right. I think one thing I would say, which which I found ridiculous, is when he goes to see, like, the main um, vampire, don't they? The, the, the what's he called? Um, oh, the main one, Dave. L. Like, like the guy who's, who's, well, actually, so Nomak and, and the main head vampire, they're both sort of done up to be... Um, like Nosferatu, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's his dad, isn't he, really? Nomak is the son of... Uh, it's Eli Damaskinos or something he's called. He's the ancient vampire, Dave. But uh, but yeah, you're right. And I, I think when they go to see him and, and they're all there and Whistler's saying, do you trust them and stuff? And then they decide to take him to a nightclub, which, again, they're like... When you get here, you've just got to realise what we're doing. In other words, they're going to be killing humans who you've been saving throughout the whole time we've known Blade in the first movie. And Blade just passes it off. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? That is just not right. And I think... So the nightclub scene... um, Oh, I can't remember what what the nightclub's called now. It'll come back to me, though, I'm sure. Again... What's the what is the main thing you you think about when you think of that first Blade movie? The music at the start. The it, music it's that was music with the blood and everything. When it's yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah House of Pain was it, it was called House of Pain. That's that's the one. Jump around. Um, yeah. How can I forget that? So yeah, I think this nightclub scene just didn't quite have that feel about it. There was something missing there. You know, and I, I, I think it might be as simple as the music, but uh, no, it was very Del Toro, wasn't it? You know, very Pan's Labyrinth kind of thing, where where he's walking through the nightclub. You've got some guy with his, uh, uh, what was it? The the Vikings used to call it Golden Eagle or something like that, where they split yeah. open your skin from the back, and you can see all his ribs and spine and stuff, and you got all these gruesome things happening and. Uh, this this team who had been put together to take down Blade, but it's like, okay, change your plan, let's take down this, this bigger threat, this super vampire. Um, you know, they're all just walking through there with the weapons, and I know they're vampires, but it's like, surely someone would raise an eyebrow and go, uh, this isn't going to go well, is it? No, no. <laughs> Should we I... find somewhere else and have a quiet drink? Well, well I, I did. I, I did know you right. I did think the fighting in this club scene was pretty good. However, uh, Matt Schultz Chopper, the one who set out Fast and Furious, he decides to just shoot anything at random, and he's gone full on John Rambo with with a proper M16 gun there. And he's just getting this saying, save your bullet. And he just shoots this super vampire that is having no effect on him at all. And just carries it on. And he must shoot him about 300 times. And it's like, <laughs> after the first 10, mate, if he's not going to die, he's not going to die if you keep following around the fucking club. It's making no difference <laughs> you firing that gun at all. No, no. And I, I tell you what else is, is interesting in this nightclub scene. Again, because this is 2002, so Matrix came out 99. The first Blade came out in 98. You actually had X-Men coming out in 2000, didn't you? So yeah. before before Blade, Marvel basically had nothing in the movie space. They had Howard the Duck, and we all know how that went. 
<laughs> but you know, and they had these TV movies. Obviously, you know, the Hulk and Spider-Man. We went back to review. They had Doctor Strange as a TV pilot that that we need to go back to at some point. But as a proper big screen movie, Blade broke that seal for Marvel. You know, so yeah, yeah. I'm just wondering how much of an impact that first movie had because I. I honestly, I was looking at this and I was thinking, ah, 2002, it's all ripped off the Matrix. And then yeah. I thought, hang about, no. If the first Blade came out in 98, before the Matrix, is it just the feel of it is just kind of around that time? You know, everyone's wearing black leather. You've all got a bit of techno kind of metal. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't know. There's just something that just felt Matrix. But I had to, and that's what I felt. I felt like, oh, it's just copying the Matrix. But then I thought, well, no, it's just, it's in the same space. It has that same feel. But I don't think it's fair, really, to say that it is copying the Matrix. No, and, and no, I don't necessarily think it is. Maybe I mean, obviously, the martial arts stuff is very similar. But but I think, I think what what I would say, Dave, and going across the whole trilogy of these Blade movies, it's the same format, isn't it? Blade comes in, he kicks ass. Takes out a load of vampires, there's no match for him. Something happens, he becomes vulnerable, whether it's through Whistler or someone else. He then ends up being on his arse, no sword, he's about to die, and then all of a sudden his powers come back because he ends up having to either bite somebody or gets in the black <laughs> and this to the blood. He, the, yeah. the format of the three movies is exactly the same, it's just that the bad guy changes. That's the only thing that doesn't change uh, in these movies, but is the story. It's just the baddie is slightly different. Yeah. No, you're right. Again, it's again. I'm not saying Goya is a average writer, <laughs> but it's just when you actually analyse the story. Now, I've got to say again, I, I think there are there is a lot that I like about this movie. It's just when you stand back and look at it, I think it's more to do with Snipes himself. I think yes. in my mind, I'm not sure. It, is this is this peak Wesley Snipes, or was Demolition Man peak Wesley Snipes? I, th- I think Demolition Man he he's a little bit. I think there's there's a few percent in it. I think I'd probably have Wesley Snipes as Blade in Blade Two as being his peak, because he he's just that brooding serious character, isn't he? Where he's a bit more jokey in Demolition Man. Yeah, see, see for me. The first Blade, absolutely love him in that day. Absolutely love him. I think that's his second best role. His best role for me in anything he's ever done is White Men Can't Jump with Woody Harrelson. I fucking Uh, love that movie. I love that movie. Uh, Sydney's calling that. I love it. It's a brilliant movie. It's stupid. It was sort of mid-90s when it was before this. He wasn't obviously as jacked as he is in Blade, but it's such a stupid movie, but I absolutely love that movie. So... Yeah, I I don't think you're far wrong. It's it's all perception, totally different style of of acting and everything. It's yeah. it a ridiculous movie. Um, but yeah, I, I think you're right. I love Wesley Snipes in this. I love his whole portrayal of Blade. I think he is Blade. I'm, I'm interested to see uh, when the new Blade movie gets made, how the new actor goes about it. He was fantastic. Have, have you seen the Green Book, by the way, Dave? No, no, Ali, I've, I've seen, him in, um, seen him in Luke Cage. Oh, he's got uh, in that cotton mouth, wasn't he? In Luke yeah, Cage? and then he was in Elite Battle Angel that we looked at last year as well, wasn't he? Phenomenal actor. And 
I'll let you finish and then then I'll give my no no two his name is Mahashala Ali. He's fantastic in the Green Book, Dave. If you get chance, it sounds ridiculous because he's in it with Viggo Mortensen. It's one of the best movies I watched last year. I absolutely, oh, Dave, at the end, I was tearing up at the end. It's it's a bit of a Christmas movie in the end, but it's a great movie. I'd recommend that to anybody. But he's brilliant. He he, he will bring Blade to life. He's just got that mystique about him that could, you know, hopefully uh, surpass Wesley Snipes' version of him. I think that is a, that is a high bar. And, and I think I, I'll go in with an open mind. It is hard for me to to think of anyone else playing Blade at this point, but if you're going to do it, do it with a fantastic actor like him. So you know, I'm I'm sure he'll be brilliant, and I'm sure within two minutes of seeing him on screen, I'll be bought in because, like you say, I, I've not seen him. Uh, I've seen him in different roles, but not nothing bad. I'll I'll have to go back and and revisit that Green Book. But yeah, no, I think the the things that make this movie great are the look and feel. Um, and Wesley Snipes as well. I think yeah. without those, I think the story is is, is limited. I called out um, when we did our Star Wars crossover. I was I was saying making an analogy, you know, for Episode Seven when they have a bigger Death Star. <laughs> it's just yeah, a, yeah. it's just a bit lazy. And I was saying, oh, Peter Griffin had a great idea for a movie. It's called Bigger Jaws, and and that's what this kind of is you know it's like in the first movie it was all about the vampires and now we've got this like bigger vampire <laughs> you yeah, know that it yeah. doesn't just eat humans he eats vampires as well so i don't know it's it's just the the actual story i think that lets this down but what i have to say is it's only because i think we've watched so many of these movies and we deconstruct them that i think i'm even thinking about that I think yes. just if you just watch it, you're taken along with everything else. You're taken along with the music, the cinematography, the, the uh, Wesley Snipes as Blade. I, I actually think, right? I actually think Luke Goss plays a damn good role. Like I can't really fault how he's played it there, and oh, you good. can see why Del Toro's sort of taken him, and he, he's used him in Hellboy Two as well. Yeah, I, I, I honestly, Dave, I've got no problem with Luke Goss at all, and I think you're right. I, I, I messaged you after it, you know, and said I really enjoyed it, loved it. In fact, it's just when we talk about it, when you talk about the story and the stuff there, when you're watching it, you're like, that's not real, that's ridiculous. And I'm only bringing it up because it's how I felt as we're talking. I'm not, you know, as a movie itself, as a spectacle, it's a great movie, Dave. It's, yeah. You know, it is a good movie. You know, you got it's just short of two hours, and I. I don't think if you invested in the character, and, and I think you're right when you about the Marvel stuff, I, it never even crossed my mind years ago that it was a Marvel movie at all, Dave. It was just Blade. And only as I've become more savvy and more attuned to the DC world and the Marvel world universe and stuff like that, that he, make, you know, he sits on one side of the fence. At the time, it was just purely, he was a character called Blade. So, so yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a, a very, very good point you mentioned earlier. And, and also... It does move along at a pretty good pace, to be honest. You never sat there. There's never really any lulls in anything. I mean, obviously, eventually, they have to go uh, um, as a team, don't they, and, and get out all these sort of super vampires and have this big scrap under the water. And you've got that big bloke, Lighthammer, who's, who's already been infected and he's been yeah. bitten by him. Um, I, I, 
I think what what the thing is, you were always you always knew that Ron Perlman's character Reinhardt was going to turn on Blade, and that's exactly what he did, didn't he? You know what I mean? You, you, you could see it a million miles away that they yeah. were never ever just going to become mates at the end. He was going to become a bit of a uh, knobhead to him, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, this team had been put together to take down Blade, so you know, it's it's like. Football analogy. So, you know, for either of us to support each other's teams, you know, just on the flip of a switch, it's just not going to happen, is it? No. <laughs> you know, even if, uh, you know, we had to have a combined team to play a Mars 11 or something like that, there's just fucking no way. You know, you might play that game, but then you're straight back to how it was before. Now, I said I, I, I feel like this, this movie's possibly unjustly called out for being a bit of a Matrix copy, but I do have to say, old Ron Perlman as Reinhardt there, those glasses that he's wearing are just completely... He just gives him that cipher look from the Matrix for me. Yeah, yeah. That is the one thing that I will call out that it's just like, oh, come on, that that's, that is a bit obvious. But again, I don't know if I felt like that when I watched the movie about Ron Perlman. Because I don't think at the time I would have known who Ron Perlman was. It's just watching it back now, you know who he is. So you see him there and he's he's pretty much, you know, Blade's lackey, isn't he, when they're hunting yeah. down the, the other vampires. And you're like, there is no way <laughs> that is the end of him. You know, he's, he's going to do an about turn as the first chance he gets. And sure enough, that's that's what happened. Exactly, exactly. And it did. It was very predictable. And then, obviously, you know, Luke Goss Nomak then goes on a rampage, doesn't he? He's trying to get his dad, the sister. In the end, the sister double-crosses the old man, doesn't he? The, the, the main uh, Damascus Kineos, or whatever he's called. And they, Easy they double- for you to say. Yeah, it's not, Dave. I'm really trying. It's not. It's a ridiculous name. But anyway, Eli will call him the dad. That's his first name, Eli. But yeah... And they had the whole double cross, and again, Blade, he's absolutely on his arse. He's, you know, he's getting beat by Nomak, and then eventually he ends up in the blood, Dunny, and makes a recovery. And, and very much beat for beat, similar to the first one. Obviously, Stephen Dorff was never a great bad guy as no. such. He was never massive. This Nomak, height wise, and that, Luke Goss, he's very, very good, and he's got super strength, and he can pull doors off, and all that. So he is a better than Blade. And obviously, the. They, they dissect a one of the super vampires, don't they realise that the whole heart's covered in that and it's like it's been genetically made and stuff and we find out that Eli has created these vampires so that they can't be killed. Yeah, it was down in the sewers, wasn't it? So Nomak, a uh, couple of the guys, so they tried to beat up Whistler and we're going to take him down but they end up getting taken down themselves by one of Nomak's crew. And then uh, Nomak sort of tells Whistler, he whispers in his ear. Uh, we don't actually hear it on the screen, but, you know, we find out later that, that he's told him that, you know, the, these vampires, that it's not just an evolved uh, part of evolution, it's, it's engineered. Yeah, yeah, because he does set it all up, doesn't he, with Blade for that, Dave? It's yeah, Because yeah. Whistler should be dead, to be honest. I, again, I, I try not to think about it too much, but the whole fact that... They play off this thing of Whistler. Is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? They hint that there's a mole in the camp, don't they? And I, I just don't, I just don't buy it. You know, again, I can't shake the fact that in the first movie he was near death's door, and then he, as Blades walking off, we even get a replay at the start of the movie, don't we? In case we'd forgot, 
as he's walking off, you hear the shotgun. Well, what? Did he try and blow his brains out and fucking miss? Yeah, yeah. Just It's just bollocks. And then you sort of think, okay, well, maybe, you know, if the vampires could bite him and, and make him a vampire and save him, um, you know, but Blade very cute. It's very conveniently turns him back to human again. It's just It's just all bollocks, really. But... Yeah, I try not to think about it. In that sewer scene, though, I was pretty gutted when uh, old Danny John Jules goes, you know, the cat. Yeah, me too, And and that's purely, really, you know, he wasn't a bad character. He was kind of a nice vampire ninja, wasn't he, in this? But I think my warming to him does stem back to the Red Dwarf days, to be honest. But yeah, seeing him goes, I was a little bit sad at that. It was, to be honest, Dave, and I think... I think you make a very good point, to be honest. It's it's not a bad movie, but a lot of the stuff, if you like you say, if you sit there and think about it, it's forget about it. You might as well just fucking think it because it loads of it is just it's just like filler stuff. And I think, to be fair, Dave, I'm gonna to have to agree with you. David A. Scoyer is not a great storyteller at all. He's not. If you forget Dingy, and I really don't want to say that because you know I like to wind you up, but he's not in this. <laughs> certainly, it's just a movie too far. I think, to be honest, it is. Uh, we haven't even got to Ghost Rider, uh, and Spirit of Vengeance is even worse. But it has taken us 108 episodes to get to this point. <laughs> <laughs> no, no right. like I say, look, he's a better. He's a better Hollywood cinema uh, movie scriptwriter than me and you, isn't he? Um, yeah. But so when you when you're comparing him against other writers, you you're talking about an elite set of writers already straight off the bat. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's when you deconstruct it that this is where it all sort of falls down, really. No, you're right. You're right. And obviously, eventually, we get the fight between Nomak and Blade, and Blade, you know, kills him from the side, doesn't he? Because it's the only way he can get to his heart. And Nomak commits suicide, and everyone goes off all nice. I mean, what was a bit shit though, Dave? Was Nisa obviously the the sister and the Blade sort of love interest? Who's a very very pretty girl. She really is. Uh, he's played by Lenora Valera, uh, Varela, and he has to take her outside, doesn't he? Because she's going to change into a reaper and all that. Because she wants to see the sun. I know. It's fucking nonsense. She's put a pair of sunglasses on. Do do you not think... I I think there's a few deleted scenes here. I think there was supposed to be more of a love story. Yeah. And and I think it's probably just the way it's been edited together. There's, There's no chemistry between them, really, at all, is there? Other than, you know, she's a woman, he's a bloke. That's it. <laughs> yeah, and I, th- I think what you make a good point is also, we talk about the character building and the world building. In the first movie, every single vampire is an absolute twat. Every one of them is horrible. They just want to maim and kill people. They have no conscience whatsoever. But clearly, Nisa, the, um, the cat's character, the Red Dwarf, They've all got consciences. They're all like normal people, aren't they, Dave? And that's where I find it difficult yeah. to believe this this movie because they are showing a lot of human traits that in the first Blade, not one vampire had any uh, compassion or sort of sign of guilt towards a human being. But yet in this, we're getting vampires with a fucking conscience and that's where I think I find it quite difficult to believe. Yeah, and I think, again, you know... As a standalone movie, I've quite enjoyed this. 
but when you look at you know when is a trilogy really a trilogy well it's it's when you can look back and see you know three individual stories but there's an overarching story to it yeah i know we're only halfway through or you know two out of three but what is the overarching story to it that there is none is there it's just we made a shitload of money from the first one that probably wasn't expected and let's do another one uh david get right in uh bigger vampires more more (laughs) more gruesome vampires that's the way to go so we'll just do pretty much the same one and like i say we'll have this fake out where it's like is whistler a good guy a bad guy oh no it's scud you know he's the bad guy in it yeah so um yeah no it's uh storyline wise it's definitely weak yeah i agree i agree so dave should we go to our review yeah let's go Hello listeners, this is Tony Farina from DC Comics News and an occasional guest on Comics in Motion. I'm pleased to announce a new show called Indie Comics Spotlight. Each week, my guests and I will be taking a deep dive into a current title or a classic graphic novel from a publisher other than the big two. Consider this show the best of the rest. My hope is that we'll bring new readers to independent comics and give old readers a chance to share their thoughts. Join me each week in the Comics in Motion feed in your favorite podcast catcher. So Dave, I'll go first this week. Um, I think as a movie, really, really enjoyed it. I'd definitely watch it again. Like I say, there's loads of plot holes with it. If you think too much, you probably would never watch it. Wesley Snipes, brilliant in this. The martial arts, I think, was ramped up a lot. And and it's the pure aggression in his sort of kickboxing style of fighting that I really like. And there was also a little bit of jiu-jitsu in there, which going back 18 years was quite in its infancy, really. And obviously the MMA world wasn't really there. I really, really enjoyed watching it. It's just a two-hour romp. Don't think about it too much. There's loads of things wrong with the movie. Like I say, the conscience of the vampires, which has come from nowhere on two or three of them in this movie, is absolutely ridiculous. Luke Goss stands out. He's very good in it. Uh, you know, uh, Don Donnie Yen, who plays the snowman, as I mentioned before, Ip Man, he's quite good. He, he's not in it for long. You know, some of the supporting characters are quite interesting. Never really bought that these super vampires were any sort of match as such. They were just they were a bit like... Dementors, or they were just, just weird characters within it. They all look like fucking Voldemort on steroids, really. He was having a bad day. I, just, <laughs> I, I never really bought into it. And for some reason, Whistler always pisses me off. I don't know why. He just seems completely out of place in this movie. I just don't understand the dynamic of that relationship at all. Norman Reedus was quite good on the whole heel turn, which I haven't really mentioned that, that when he, he, he changes and it's all been a setup, but Blade knew all along and then just decimates him completely. Pretty good. So for me, I'm going to send it to Hall of Justice, Dave. It's not amazing, but it's not absolutely horrendous. It's just somewhere in the middle, and, and it's an enjoyable movie, so I'll definitely be watching it down the line. What about yourself, Dave? No, really good review there, and, and I'll echo a lot of what you've said there. I do think it is enjoyable. I mean, it is, it's an 18 in the UK, isn't it? I, I imagine it's, um, it's R-rated. I think I read somewhere that it was, uh, they made the, you know, the super vampires, they made them uh, have green blood to keep it at an R rating. So, you know, the only thing above R in the US is an X, isn't it? And that's usually reserved for other types of movies. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So that's why they had green blood, apparently. But yeah, no, just good to watch. I mean, the CGI doesn't stand up how you remember it, but 
you know, if you you can forgive that as just being of the time. When they get into the more practical effects and, and you know, the, the fight choreography and everything, that's when it starts to look really good. Now, I, I did, I've mentioned The Matrix a few times, and what I'd say is, you know, Keanu Reeves in The Matrix does a great job as someone who didn't really start off that Matrix journey knowing much about martial arts and couldn't fight. He did a, a pretty damn good job of pulling it off in the movie. But for me, Wesley Snipes is a step above that. And for me, this is peak Wesley Snipes, and he just kills it as Blade. And so he is the best thing about this movie. But also, you know, if you like Guillermo del Toro films, how that looks, that gruesomeness of it, and that um, that darker feel, then it absolutely it, it stands up on that side as well. So I'll go back and watch this as well, but I don't think I can rate it any higher than a Hall of Justice. You know, it, it's it's it is kind of probably on the upper end of that, you know, but not quite enough to get to Atlantis. So, yep, that's it for me. Oh, good stuff, Dave. Thanks for that. Now, guys, if you want to get in contact with the show, on Twitter, at Comics in Motion P. If you want to email us, the Comics in Motion podcast at gmail.com. And if you have got time, myself and Dave are trying to get up them rankings with this show. We're 108 episodes in. And if you do have time, please get onto your podcast catching app and just drop us a review on the show. Good, bad, indifferent, it doesn't matter. Anything helps us. And obviously, you know, any feedback is warranted to help us improve on the show. And if you do have any suggestions, as I mentioned before, any of the social media channels there, whether it be Twitter or email, and just give us some suggestions of what stuff you want us to review. So, Dave, great episode again. Thank you so much, my friend. Have you got anything for us today to take us out? Yeah, I'll just say, again, with those iTunes or Apple Podcast reviews, apparently Rotten Tomatoes let you become an official critic when you hit 200 reviews, apparently. So I think for 2020, I think we're going to make that our target. So every single review... You know, good, bad, or indifferent, we're going to read them out on the show. But that is a nice target because it would be great to get on there and uh, say our piece. So after we do each movie review, get the feedback from you know you guys on email and Twitter and what have you, and then we'll we'll give our official review. So that would be lovely, Chris. To finish off, what I'll say is, you know, we haven't really spoken about the Easter eggs. We spoke about Ron Perlman and obviously Luke Goss going on to uh, work with Guillermo del Toro on Hellboy 2 and there are lots of little comic easter eggs in there as well and Scud he's got this t-shirt with the logo of the Bureau of Paranormal Research and Defence which is a reference to Hellboy but also Scud mentions a line that you'll probably recognise says lock up your daughters boys and girls the Dark Knight returns I'll speak to you next week bye now Excuse me, I'm Eric Lynch. James Xavier. Go fuck yourself. What in the ass? Tell me something, my friend. You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? What? I always ask that of all my prey. I just like the sound. Let's not stand on ceremony here, Mr. Wayne. Would you care to step outside? Come to me, son of Jarrell! Kneel before Zod! Why so serious? What's but a smile on that face? I am Iron Man. I'm Batman. Whoa! Hey! This is Acast Recommends. 
Every week we pick one of our favorite shows and this is one we think you're going to love. Dating was hard enough before an international pandemic. Asking someone to meet me outside is indicative of how they feel. If they're willing to risk it, then they're in love with you. We all crave companionship, love, and intimacy. I feel like I need to make out with my dog just to see if I can remember how to. This podcast is a real-time look at dating with our new normal. This girl's like, I'm so bored, come over right now. I doubt a lot of guys are like, no, sorry, I'm trying to be safe. This is Dating Diaries, Quarantine Confessions. ACAST is home to the biggest podcast from the U.S. and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via ACAST or wherever you get your podcasts.